Hello, and welcome back to the Baseball Trade Values Podcast. My name is Joshua Iverson, and I am the associate editor of BaseballTradeValues.com, joined, as always, by founder and owner John Bitzer. John, we're like well into the season now. It's almost June. Uh, that, that seems like it snuck up on me. Uh, how, yeah. how are you doing? How have things been treating you? Uh, just busy as ever. Kids playing youth baseball, enjoying it. Um, but we, yeah, to your point, we are at the one third mark, just past it, I think, actually. And so you might see on our site that uh, values have been updated for the one third mark, uh, at least for all the significant um, players that you might be interested in. So check those out uh, because it's more statistically significant now. I hope I said that correctly. The the first update we did after I think it was a month or so is still too early and most of the preseason projections still dominate. But after one third of the season, we got two months of data in. What's happening now starts to become more important. So if a guy's not performing well, that starts to really affect his value and vice versa. So you'll start to see those changes reflected on our site. Yeah, and we're starting to see some more movement from teams. We're starting to see some, when I say movement, I mean movement in the standings. (laughs) Um, And we're starting to see some teams stabilize a little bit. We talked about the Cardinals on the last episode, and we'll talk about them again this episode, that they may be making a bit of a comeback, kind of like we expected. Um, aside from all that, I was talking to John a little bit before we started, before we hit the record button. And, uh, I just got back from a trip out East to see a few ballparks. I just wanted to share my quick hits on them. Uh, Camden Yards, Baltimore, uh, Orioles park is just as beautiful as everyone says would recommend. And I was actually kind of impressed by, uh, by Citizens Bank out in Philadelphia. It's a nice park, uh, some very passionate fans there who were not happy to see the Cubs beat the Phillies 10 to one and made their displeasure uh, very heard. <laughs> uh, but yeah, had a nice trip. Also went to see the nationals, a decent ballpark there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, would, would recommend all three. If anybody's trying to, I, I'm, I'm slowly working my way through all 30 with my dad. And so if anybody else is thinking of doing anything similar, would recommend it, would recommend all three of those. Me too. Yeah. I've done, those with my kids and and highly recommend and baltimore still is like kind of the classic of the new it's not new anymore it's 30 years old now but it's amazing to think about but it's really still quite charming right and i that game was just a treat for us we had really great seats for it and we got to see otani go deep we got to see trout go deep we got to see adley hit a big go-ahead home run and that place was rocking and and they ended up orioles ended up losing by a run but it was a very good game saw all the highlights it was great time there for sure um anything else you have john before we just kind of dive into some of these smaller transactions some of these other bits of news um one other thing i'll touch on is that uh, we did mention in previous podcasts on the site that we do have a new new version of btv coming um it's a little bit behind schedule in case you were wondering but it is in fact still in the works so um we'll get there it'll be in june i know we're almost at the end of may but it'll be in June, and we're very excited about it, putting the finishing touches on it now, uh, doing a, making a lot of improvements. You'll see options for um, subscribers for ad-free versions with some really cool new features, so can't wait to roll them out. Yes, very excited. Kind of counting the days on that one. <laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> oh, cool. Let's jump into some of these minor transactions from the last few weeks, like I said, nothing, nothing too major has happened yet. We're still kind of in that calm while teams are figuring out what they're doing and and we're not quite into trade season yet, but it's just around the corner. Um, Just a few 
very small deals to run through. Uh, the Royals acquired right-handed pitcher James McArthur from the Phillies in exchange for minor league outfielder Junior Marine. Uh, nothing really to say there other than with that move, they DFA'd Fran Mil Reyes, who was not hitting very well for him. Uh, the A's sent Pablo Reyes to the Red Sox for cash, and the Red Sox immediately added Reyes to the roster. I think they were having some some injuries on the infield, and, and I think he actually replaced Bobby Dalbeck, who is a potential trade chip, I guess, um, if anybody's still interested in him. Uh, the A's also picked up Lucas Urseg, a converted infield prospect who now throws upper 90s as a reliever. Picked him up from the Brewers for cash. And the Marlins picked up Jonathan Davis, outfielder at zero, from the Tigers in exchange for prospect Brady Allen, out also at zero in trade value. And uh, Davis actually joined the Marlins and was immediately on fire. I think he went like seven for his first eight or something like that. I know, and, right? And then like, whoa, did we miss something? Yeah. And then he's cooled off dramatically since then. So maybe not. <laughs> yeah, because he's just a 30-year-old quad A outfielder. And yeah, yeah that, that's all he is. Okay. Um, beyond those moves, there were a couple other... Uh, transactions that are worth at least touching on um the mets gary sanchez saga was a little bit interesting uh they picked up uh, so gary sanchez had an opt-out in his deal with the giants he exercised it because he was sitting at triple a and wasn't going to be added to the roster and also was not hitting in triple a uh so the mets went ahead and picked him up on a minor league deal they were pretty banged up uh they had tomas nito out they had omar narvaez out both on the injured list and uh, they went ahead and picked up Gary Sanchez. He hit a little bit in AAA for him, and they added him to the roster. And then pretty shortly after that, they just cut him loose again because Nito came off the injured list. And uh, to go kind of hand-in-hand with that, it's at least worth noting that their rookie catcher, Francisco Alvarez, who was one of the top prospects in the game, he's hitting very well. Uh, he's, he's really on a hot streak right now and opening some eyes there, so... Uh, was never really going to be a home for Gary Sanchez long-term or anything, but yeah, now he's back on the open market and it's been, it's been a quick fall from grace for Gary Sanchez. He used to be a can't miss guy and he was actually kind of okay with the twins last year. And now he just can't find a job. Which is weird because there are a lot of teams who need catchers and yet there he sits. I mean, you know, the giants have been struggling. They just packed the, decided to call up Patrick Bailey, who, you know, granted he's a little bit of a prospect, but not that much of it. And the Angels had had almost nobody who could catch, and they still didn't bite. Like, what's going on here? Is Gary Sanchez that bad? And the answer is, yeah, probably he is. You know, he has one trick left up his sleeve, which is power. Other than that, you know, bad defense, you know, strikes out too much, you know, and I guess you look at the whole package, there's not much you can do with it. It's interesting because his defense did tick up last year with the Twins, and he he graded out by most advanced metrics as closer to average, maybe even just the slightest bit above average. Um, So I wonder if if this is a case of teams don't believe that and think it's a small sample type thing, or if they're just relying, you know, if they're just going back to the reputation, or maybe there's something with like his game calling that doesn't get picked up in those metrics necessarily, but they believe is is below average and would hurt their team defensively but yeah it is it is just weird to me you know i figure he would have caught on somewhere like like you said the angels they kind of have a black hole back there right now they yeah. i figured they could have used him but 
who knows? He's still out there. He'll, I'm sure somebody will get hurt or somebody will take a flyer. And then by the end of the year, he'll have hit 25 homers for the Colorado Rockies. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay. So speaking of uh, formerly DFA'd players, um, Jake Diekman, we talked about how the White Sox finally cut bait on him after that weird trade last year and him just getting rocked. Um, The Tampa Bay Rays signed him to a big league deal pretty much immediately. And, uh, he has not, you know, you, you, you would make all the same jokes after a signing like this of, oh, no, look out, league, they're going to fix him. And he actually has continued to struggle with them to this point in a small sample. Um, but it's it's always worth keeping an eye on any pitcher the Rays pick up, especially if it's one who has had very, very good seasons in his recent history. And if they think they can get that performance back out of him, if, if any team can, it's the Rays. Yeah, I just wanted to add, you know, um, the White Sox ate his contract, right? So the Rays only have to pay him the prorated league minimum. So there's really no risk to him, to them giving him a shot if they can fix it. It's basically just basically just that sweeper, you know, because he's when he's off, he's way off with that. But when he gets it on, it can be a very effective weapon. And so you think, okay, well, he's making league minimum. When I give him a shot and see if we can fix that one thing. They haven't fixed it yet, but it's it's a certainly it's a worthwhile gamble. Right, and their pitching depth has taken some hits right. in recent weeks, and we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit as well. But uh, that that's probably a factor as well of, hey, if this guy is just going to be free and he has this kind of upside, that doesn't necessarily come across the waiver wire every day, so we might as well give him a shot. Right. Okay, uh, actually diving into those injuries, let's go ahead and stick with the Rays. Um, Drew Rasmussen who has been fantastic for them since they acquired him for Willie Adamas a couple years back. Uh, He's going to be shut down for at least two months, uh, not even throwing at all. He's got a flexor strain, and that's a very concerning injury for a pitcher, especially, you know, a hard-throwing guy like Rasmussen, who's always kind of had some injury concerns and durability and and all that. Um, Very, like, it's the kind of injury where, yes, it says two months, and then theoretically that puts him back in, what are we looking at, like, you know, if, if he's shut down for two months, then he's maybe throwing and maybe getting into games in like August-ish, maybe back on the roster by September, best case scenario. Um, if, if, you know, this feels like the type of injury, though, where you can't really be counting on that at all. You kind of have to just write him off for the season and anything else you get from him is gravy, which is concerning for the Rays because we've talked a few times now about, you know, even with their hot start and everything, they don't really have a lot in terms of pitching depth, uh, mm-hmm. not not what we're used to them having. And so they started the season with Tyler Glass now on the injured list. Um, and now Rasmussen goes down. Uh, there's another name, isn't there? I, I can pull up their <laughs> roster so resource page. <clears throat> McClanahan, Eflin, Bradley. Glass yeah, Eflin is always, Eflin's always banged up. I think that's what I was thinking of. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they've already dipped into Taj Bradley, who was kind mm-hmm. of their de facto next man up and he's been okay i think he got rocked in his last start Mm. um but yeah it's it's just looking thin after that and if if you're if you're going to count on any team to be able to piece together you know a spot in the rotation by cycling through guys and using these bulk guys and openers and stuff like that you would point to the rays as being the team that could do that but it's still not good there's oh oh, jeffrey springs is who i was thinking of who was also out for the year yeah and Shane Baz has been out for a while. They still don't have him back. Um, yeah, so it's uh, they're stitching it together over there. They've 
basically have McClanahan, who is still pretty consistently good. He's still your number one guy. You know, obviously had a great year last year too, and he's had a couple of rough spots this year, but mostly he's still pitching like your your number one guy. But if you think ahead to the playoffs, you got too many question marks. You know, you don't know if Eflin and his knees are going to hold up. You don't know if Taj Bradley, who's a rookie, is going to you know have some growing pains. Glasnow's just back. You don't know if he's okay totally yet. If he is, then okay, fine. He's, you know, between him and McClanahan, there's your top two. But that's still a question mark. But really, you know, if you're looking at a playoff rotation, you need a little bit more than that. So that's, and and I know we're going to talk about the article I wrote in a minute, but um, one of the main focuses of it was that the Rays seem like a team that's definitely going to make a move for a starting pitcher. I would agree. Yeah. And along those lines to go on a sort of tangent, uh, did you, I know you had a busy start to your day today, but did you mm-hmm. happen to catch anything about that Rays Dodgers game this morning? No, <laughs> my goodness. It was ended up 11, 10 Tampa Bay. It was a real back and forth thing. And the weirdest thing of it, and I didn't watch the game, so I don't really know how this happened, but Josh Fleming, who's kind of been forced into that fifth spot in the rotation by all these injuries and he's really more of a swing man give you a few innings out of the bullpen sixth starter type but he's being forced into regular action there he had this pitching line he went six innings which okay that that sounds good right six innings for josh fleming he probably pitched pretty well uh 12 hits 10 runs eight earned two walks three strikeouts gave up five home runs what mm. How did how did that happen <laughs> for for the Rays? How did they let that happen? Mm-hmm. Especially you know you compare it to the Dodgers box score, uh, a line score for for the day, is they did what you would expect to have happened in a game that ended up ten eleven. You know they they started Gavin Stone, their rookie, and he struggled. He gave up seven earned in two innings, and then they kind of pieced it together with a bunch of other bullpen guys. Uh, Paul Bickford went two innings. Shelby Miller went an inning. Victor Gonzalez went an inning. Bruce Gratterall, Yancy Almonte. That's what you expect when you see that score line. That's what you expect the box score to look like. And instead, the Rays used uh, they used Fleming for six innings, and mm. they used Jalen Beeks for one inning, and Jason Adam for two. And that was it. Just a bizarre Ooh. box score. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a telling point, right? Because they're basically saying, hey, white flag, we got nobody else. We're just going to keep Fleming in there because we're, we've burnt everybody else. That's That paints the picture right there. They need help. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, so that's that's one injury, and then jumping to another one, the Twins, Tyler Malley, he underwent Tommy John surgery and will miss the rest of the season. So, man, it's it's a fascinating parallel between him and Frankie Montas. You know, they were kind of the two, you know, one A, one B, or I guess two A, two B after mm-hmm. Luis Castillo last deadline, and. You know, they both kind of had the similar shoulder issues throughout the year leading up to the trade deadline. And they both still were traded for pretty notable prospects. You know, no nothing crazy because they are both kind of number two types and limited years of control and the injury concerns. But they got decent prospect packages back and then provided their, their new teams with basically no production. Um, and... Montas could come back in like September, I'm pretty sure, but I don't I don't know if the Yankees are counting on anything from him this year and then he's gonna be a free agent and, and Maley's undergoing Tommy John halfway through the year, he's not gonna be back and pitching again until next like May, June, July at the earliest, and mm-hmm. he's also a free agent after the year. So just a fascinating 
you know parallel between the two how they've have they've just kind of Maley has pitched a little bit more for the twins and he had like a couple flashes this year where you're like okay maybe he is back maybe he's healthy but yeah it's just interesting I, I don't think anybody really saw this coming even if even if you had concerns about their health going into those trades I don't think you'd expect both of these deals to have ended up like this yeah no obviously you know a lot of this is based on probability right and so the probability when you make a trade is you get stuck with nothing and it's interesting because these two have very parallel stories, right? They both went down with shoulder surgeries. To your point, they both were the, you know, bells of the ball last deadline. And then, you know, and, and you know, the, the acquiring teams got little to nothing out of them. They're both in the same boat. So, um, but, but it just wanted, I just want to reinforce the fact that it's a, it's always a gamble. You're gambling that you're going to get their upside, but you're taking the risk you're going to get their downside. And that happens more often than you think. Um, so, yeah yeah that's the life of a gm right you're taking gambles right and it's weird where you know working in a major league front office working in baseball you have to really grasp the the concept of sample size and you know you can't be overreacting to 50 hot plate appearances in april and say that this guy's the next mike trout because the season's real long, things are going to even out. You can't be overreacting to the Pirates' hot start to the year, because guess what? Now they're back in, what, third place? Um, so, like, working in baseball, you have to understand that. But it also feels like this is the type of thing that could scare teams off, where the next time this rolls around, the next time, you know, there's a top starting pitcher trade candidate at the deadline who did have some sort of a shoulder scare during that season, I wonder if this just scares teams away like lowers the price more than we would expect it to just because it seems like it seems like teams can operate that way you know when when it is something like this the only parallel i'm I'm really thinking of right now is something like uh you know like i guess the the roldis chapman deal where suddenly after that every team was expecting the best prospect in baseball for their closer and that that obviously didn't happen, but that kind of like set the expectations a little bit from from the one end of the deal. Or if you roll it back to the Royals World Series run, how they had one good World Series run built on a bullpen, and then suddenly every team was trying to build a mega bullpen to get them to the World Series. Like yeah. sometimes, sometimes we, we talk about this a lot. Sometimes front offices act irrationally, and this seems like a spot that they might. Where yeah. next, and, and I mean, not that they. Not that it's off base to be hesitant to give up major prospects for a guy with a shoulder injury in his past. It's it's correct to exercise caution when it comes to shoulder injuries, but I think that was already baked into the price for Montas and Maley. And, you know, if you were trying, if you see what happened with these deals and you try to lower the price even further and, you know, you're even more afraid of making that deal, I think it's an overcorrection. It is. You know, it's a copycat league to some extent, right? You've seen it. Um, you know, with various trends, as you just mentioned. And um, yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, but it's also going to be counteracted by the fact that they're going to need, so many teams are going to need starters, as I put it out in my last article. And so there's a, you know, there's a plus and a minus here that are going to, you know, it depends on how much you weigh the minuses versus the pluses, right? Um, and as far as I know, you know, there aren't any serious red flags. I know those sometimes happen later. Um but like, you know, Montas's case, the A's were kind of backed off of him in the month of July, actually. They had to shut him down right before the trade deadline. And then I think they brought him back for one start, maybe two. But he still clearly wasn't right yet. 
the Yankees made a deal for him anyway. So maybe that still could happen coming in the coming weeks. You know, you might some see somebody who's struggling a little bit, uh, and they might back off of him. And now those ones, I think, those cases are re- where you really have to be careful. But a guy who's just kind of doing his thing and is healthy, I think, is probably going to be okay. Right. Right. Completely agree. Okay, um, a few more players that got cut entirely. Hunter Dozier, the Royals, finally designated him for assignment and then requested release waivers on him. Uh, he still had a couple years of guaranteed money left on his deal, but he has not been good the last couple of years. Doesn't really have, doesn't have the glove to be posting a below average batting line, and they have a bit of a crowded infield with some young players that they want to get a good look to. So it's... Uh, it's not unexpected by any means that they finally pulled the plug here, and I don't expect teams to necessarily be lining up at him to, to get another shot at him, but I'm, I'm sure he'll catch on somewhere. He does have power, and if, if he can tap back into that productive batting line from a couple years ago, that's a useful player. You know, I never understood that article, that uh, extension in the first place. Like, what? <laughs> I mean, he had, like, one okay year, like, but even then they overpaid for him a little bit, and then he just went downhill from there, so then it became glaringly obvious that that was a bad deal, and they finally just lost patience with it, even though they're the Royals and they don't really, you know, they can afford to, but I think they want to give more playing time to the young guys. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think everybody in baseball knew that was a bad contract. Yeah, it goes to the Royals having like this sense of loyalty and mm-hmm. you wonder if maybe that'll be gone or lessened yeah. now that Dayton Moore is out but yeah. they, they did something a little similar with Salvador Perez where you know he is a better player and always has been a better player than Hunter Dozier but they gave him a pretty sizable extension on the wrong side of 30 after like what was pretty clearly an outlier year and I actually have not checked on his numbers recently, but I thought he had been kind of just okay this season. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're not terrible. Uh, you know, and there's that sort of, like, veteran presence thing with the young guys. They value there quite a bit, apparently. And, you know, obviously they value loyalty. He's been their guy. Uh, but, yeah, he's actually doing quite well. He's batting 131 WRC+. Plus. Offensively, he's good. Defensively, he's not the same guy anymore. But his bat's okay so far. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, maybe I was mistaken there. Maybe he, you know, had a cold streak and, and has since he, heated back up. But I don't know. They, they definitely do seem to be an organization that values that loyalty aspect sometimes to a fault. Um, they do. They have. And I think, yeah, I think that's J.P. Richardi who took over from, from Dayton Moore has been kind of going against that grain a bit more. He knows that that's been a weak spot for them, that they're a little too, too thick with their heart rather than their head, and he's trying to get more you know, smarter about that. Um, but I think it's a gradual process. So the fact that they cut Dozier loose is a good sign in that regard. Right. Yeah. Um, sticking with kind of the Royals theme a little bit, the Cubs designated Eric Hosmer for assignment. Uh, that was a weird signing for them. I, I thought so at the time, and I still don't quite understand why it happened. I mean, I guess they really just wanted Matt Mervis to get more seasoning in AAA. And I know he hasn't necessarily been crushing the ball now that he's in the big leagues but uh certainly hitting better than Hosmer was um (laughs) yeah I I don't I struggle to see a fit for Eric Hosmer to jump on really anywhere else because he's just not good enough at anything to even make sense as like a placeholder for a team like if you could have Eric Hosmer or 
Gary Sanchez learning a new position of first base. Like, <laughs> wouldn't you want to go with the guy who you actually think can be an above average hitter with power in, in Sanchez? Like, mm. So you're saying a guy who has no offense, no defense, can't even play the least defensive, uh, defensively valued position in baseball, can do nothing else. You're saying no one wants him? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Um, you know, like I said with Sanchez, he's probably going to sign with the Rockies next week and, and prove me wrong because if nobody wants you, the Rockies might want you still. Um, but yeah, the only thing Hosmer had going for him was that the Padres ate all his contract, right? So you could get him for league minimum. Red Sox tried him, eh. Cubs tried him, eh. There's nothing there, not even for league minimum. Yeah, and he, like, like you said, he's not even a good defender anymore. He was mm-hmm. for a while, and like maybe he's. I haven't looked deep into the numbers recently or anything, so maybe he can still. I know he had particularly good scoops at first base, and he was one of the guys to pioneer, like, hey, scoops are important, but his range isn't what it used to be. He's old now. He's slow. He can't hit. He can't run. He can't field. Uh, yeah. I don't yeah. see any appeal there here for go. anyone. <laughs> <laughs> what can you do, Eric? I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Nothing. Happy. <laughs> yeah. Happy trails on what was yeah. a successful and lucrative major league career. You got paid. That's the yep. good news. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And then last one, Yankees released Aaron Hicks. Uh, this seems like it's been a long time coming. He was, a very productive player at the start of his Yankees career and really broke out for them as former failed top prospect with the twins. And he looked like a, like a long-term piece for them. So they gave him that extension. It was seven years, $70 million. And then he just went back to being the old Aaron Hicks getting hurt a lot. And then once he came back from all those injuries, finally he just was not hitting, wasn't playing any kind of defense. It's, it's pretty clear that the injuries kind of took their toll on him and he's not what he used to be. You know, he's, he's a guy where, given all the injuries, given all the rust, you know, would I be that surprised if he got picked up on the league minimum after this all goes through? And, uh, you know, they, they he came back and was something like a league average hitter. Would I be that surprised? No, I don't think so. But there's just a lot that has to go right for that to happen. And the Yankees aren't a team that can just keep trotting him out there and letting, letting you know, hoping that they get that Aaron Hicks back you know, hoping for the upside of a league average bat. They can't keep doing that given some of the other weaknesses on their team, the holes in their lineup from some of the injuries um, that the young players that need opportunities that, that could be out producing him at this point, they couldn't afford to keep trotting him out there every day. No, he's clearly dead weight. He was on that team and they've got some other dead weight as well. There's the next question is going to be around Josh Donaldson and IKF. The other two guys who, you know, Donaldson's still obviously making money, but clearly the fact that they still had a lot lot left to pay Aaron Hicks, um, you know, they, they kind of hoped for the best for a while there to the point where he clearly was coming up the works. And so they had to make a decision based on baseball, which is the right decision. Um, the one good thing I would say about Aaron Hicks is he's always had a good eye. Like he doesn't... Um, like he can give you a smart, smart-ish at bat, but he's lost a lot of um, bat speed you know, not really much power anymore. He can't really play the field very well anymore. So there's not much he can do. So even anybody who picked him up on league league minimum may be looking at like maybe like a bench pinch hit guy. You take a shot at him. Like, I don't know. Somebody will, I suspect. Um, but there's not much else that he brings to the table anymore. 
Yeah, it's disappointing because at his peak, he was such a dynamic player and such a great defender in the outfield, had a great arm, switch hitter. Like, like you said, he could see the ball well, he could run, he could hit for power. He was a really enticing, really fun player at his best, but the injuries just took over like they do sometimes, especially for those types of mm-hmm. athletic all-out center fielders. Sometimes this just happens to them, and it's it's a bummer. But mm-hmm. like you said, the Yankees made the right call here. It was definitely well past time to cut bait. Uh, what do you think they do with Donaldson? When, I mean, I know he's he's nearing a return from injury, and by all accounts, they're going to activate him and probably demote somebody who is younger and has more potential <laughs> to, to make room for him. Yeah, no, I don't... I'm very skeptical of this, let me put it this way, because I think he's done. I think... You know, he's his best years are behind him, and he's only getting worse and worse each year. And I was trying to explain to my son what happens when you, you know, get older is you lose, you lose leg speed, right? But you also lose bat speed. You know, your whole body starts to get less twitchy, right? And when you lose bat speed, you can't hit velocity anymore, or at, at best, you're fouling it off and you're late on it or whatever. So, like, at this, that's where Donaldson is at this point. He's not going to give you occasionally. Occasionally, he'll run into one. Uh, the one good thing I will say is his defense wasn't bad last year. Um, but you know, there's a lot of guys who can play third base defense, so that's not really all that unique. I do think he's. Um, I think they'll give him a shot, but I think they'll give him a short leash because he's only. You know, they've got an option year next year, but, you know, they're not going to pick up that option, obviously, for 2024. So really, it's just a question of can they give him anything? Can he give them anything this year? If it's clear after a bit that he can't, then I think he's gone. I think they eat his contract just like they did with Hicks. And then, uh, yeah, and then I think IKF is the next one who's kind of coming up the works, not hitting. Um, He's got versatility, obviously, but he's not particularly great at any one position. And they've got other guys who can play those positions better. So those are the two guys that I would watch next on the table. I know they're filling some slots with the Willie Calhouns of the world, but those are just placeholders. They've got issues. They got issues in the Bronx, I have to say. Yeah. And, you know, I I think it is the right approach with Donaldson to at least give him that shot. Looking at the numbers, as as you pointed out, he was a plus defender at third base last year, which, you know, did lead to some value. He was, about an average regular if you extrapolate his numbers last year he played 132 games at 1.6 f4 that's you know over 162 would be that two win threshold for being like an average everyday player and that's obviously not what you're paying him to be but if you can get that you take it you know it's a nice it's a nice floor play on a team that already has its superstars and its upside plays and if you can just pencil him in to play third base every day and be around that level of production you know he's projected by zips for a 103 wrc plus steamer has him at 101 league average bat with good defense is at least a decent enough player to have on the yankees while you are cycling through these willie calhoun greg allen jake bowers these guys (laughs) like i'm sure they'd rather have donaldson than that group right now but I think it is also correct to say that we're, we got you on a short leash here, buddy, because we do have mm-hmm. Oswald Peraza and uh, Oswaldo Cabrera. I know he had he's had a rough start to the year himself as well, and I think he got sent back down. Um, but, you know, they, they have some young options that could, like you said, also play probably above average defense at third base, but at least with more upside in the bat than Donaldson has at this stage in his career. So yeah, um, that's all of our transaction news for 
this episode. Uh, let's move on to, you, you mentioned it briefly before, but let's move on to your article about the trade market for starting pitchers. Um, mm -hmm. we've, we've talked a bit in the last few episodes and even going back into the off season about, you know, some of our concerns about this upcoming trade deadline and what players would even be available given how many teams are just cleared out entirely and how many teams are still kind of going for it or starting to go for it. And there just aren't as many obvious trade candidates this year. There is no Luis Castillo. There's no more Brian Reynolds now that he's been extended. So the, the trade market after the Otani question is pretty thin. That being said, everyone in the game needs starting pitching. So teams are going to be desperate and teams are going to be trading for guys who might not might not meet the threshold that you would expect teams to want from a starting pitcher at the trade deadline, you know, looking at previous years. But when the pickings are slim and everybody needs a guy, you know, you at some point you take what you can get. So you, in this article, you outlined a couple of clear guys who are head and shoulders above the rest and then kind of a list of feasible-ish depth guys that a team could talk itself into so i'll let you take yeah. over from here run down those lists and, and give your thoughts on those guys yeah so i kind of just did a quick analysis of how many contenders there are at this point in time and how many of them need pitching and how many pitchers they actually need so what i came up with was there um nine obvious contenders that need starting pitching help and some of them have more than one spot to fill so two of them have two so it ended up being like a total of 14 spots to fill. So, and essentially we're looking for 14 starting pitchers who could be available. I then looked at, okay, who would be available? And I found that there are two impact starters and kind of 12 more that are sort of middling. The two impact starters, now this might change a little bit as we go through time here, but at the time, a week or two ago, I was looking at like Lucas Giolito and Eduardo Rodriguez. Let's talk about these guys. Giolito is with the White Sox, who were clearly struggling this year. And he is in the last year of our arbitration eligibility, eligibility, excuse me. And then, so he will be a free agent after this year. He's been a quality starter for the last several years. Obviously, he's got playoff experience. Um, he's not having a great year, I would say, this year, but he's having a good enough year, which combined with his track record, suggests that he'll still be a highly in-demand pitcher. Eduardo Rodriguez is a little bit of a different case because he has an opt-out in his contract. He had some real struggles last year. One could argue, though, that maybe those were due to the fact that he had some personal issues that were sort of undisclosed and he had to leave the team. There was a while, I'm talking about the Tigers, there, there was a while there where they couldn't get a hold of him. And so that's scary, right? Because if you're an acquiring team, you want to be able to have a relationship with your guy and, and be able to trust that he's there for you, right? You don't want to just have your guy go AWOL on you. So that's a red flag. And he also, I believe, had an injury issue. I can't remember which one it was. But basically, he had a kind of a weird year where he was only half there. And when he was there, it was a bit of a struggle. But since then, this year, he's come on strong and he's been, he's been hot. And, you know, because he has an opt-out of his contract at the end of this year, that is an interesting case because – it limits his value uh, because you're only really only getting him for a couple of months, right, in the stretch run. Now, the fact that he's hot means you're going to get a good quality starting pitcher if you ignore the baggage. But there's also the possibility that he doesn't opt out. 
Um, maybe he likes the team he goes to. And then you get the other years. Now, you could look at that as a good thing or a bad thing. On paper, it's neither here nor there. You're getting sort of the counteract, they counteract each other. Either you're going to get the good version of Eduardo Rodriguez, in which case you've got a, a nice uh, a nice value, or you may get the baggage of Eduardo Rodriguez, which means you don't know if he's going to show up or not. You don't know if he's going to be healthy or not. And so there's concern there. All of that said, it's a little bit more of a complicated case. He's not just a rental because you have that risk that he could you could get stuck with a bad contract, and that in turn limits his value. So it's not a clean situation. Giolito's situation is a little bit more cut and dry. You're just getting him as a rental for a couple months. Rodriguez is probably a rental, but with some baggage. Uh, but he's slightly hotter pitcher right now. So those are your top two impact starters. The rest of them are, you know, I will say the Giants have some guys. The Giants, of course, have been, you know, signing veteran pitchers and, and building their rotation kind of in a patchwork style now for the last couple of years. And some have been better than others. Alex Cobb has been pretty decent this year. Um, Alex Wood is hit and miss. He's had a lot of injuries, but he's you know, okay when he's on. Anthony, Anthony Disclafani has been okay. Sean Manaya has been relegated to the bullpen. He's kind of a fringy, fringy sort of uh, guy right now. So anyway, if they decide that they want to throw in the towel and not go for it, which is probably going to be the case, they may be listening on some of those guys. But these are not ace pitchers. These are threes-ish, four. You know, these are middle rotation guys at best. Lance Lynn of the White Sox also got off to a rough start this year, and because the White Sox are probably going to be out of it, they're probably listening on him as well as his teammate Mike Clevenger, who, as we know, also has some off-field baggage. So none of these guys, these are all sort of second-tier starters, like, yeah, if you miss out on the top two, okay, <laughs> go for one of these guys. Or maybe a Matthew Boyd who's seen better days, but he's there. Zach Greinke is, what, 39? He's there, but, you know, he's not the same Zach Greinke as he used to be. So what I found interesting is that Ken Rosenthal um, did a piece on the Cubs and how they may be falling out of it, in which case Marcus Stroman may be available. He has an opt-out in his contract, um, as as does Drew Smiley, who they signed in the offseason. Those two guys, I'd say Stroman's probably in the first tier because he's pitching well again. Smiley, maybe, sort of a cusp case. Um, and then the other one I didn't mention in the article but would be more interesting and I think has more of a possibility that we talk about is is Shane Bieber of the Guardians. He's got a year and a half left on his on his uh, in his arbitration years, and then he'll be a free agent after 2024. Not having the best of his years. He's lost some velocity. He's not quite the young-ish pitcher that he used to be, but he's good enough, and he's still interesting enough to teams where I think he'd be kind of a first-two starter. So in other words, if you added Stroman and Bieber to the list of available starters to Giolito and Rodriguez, then you've got more of a market. And by the way, I'm not talking about Otani yet because I think the Angels are still a bubble team, so let's say Otani's not available yet. Obviously, if he does become available, it's a game-changer. But right now, you're looking at Giolito and Rodriguez as your two impact starters, maybe Stroman, maybe Bieber, and the rest is just sort of eh. <laughs> and you got a whole bunch of teams that need help. And so the other sort of point I want to make is who has the trade capital to make a deal for these guys? If it, if it's true that there's only going to be Giolito and Rodriguez, there's going to be overpays because of the supply and demand dynamic. And there's also going to be the case where we just talked about the Rays and how badly they need starting pitching and pitching in general. Well, guess who has the strongest farm of any of these teams that need options and need rotation help? Oh, yes, it's the Tampa Bay Rays. 
they can part with any one of their even even if they didn't part with one of their top guys, they could still part with their three, four, five, or six pro prospects and still not make a dent in their farm. So they've got the most trade capital to work with and the most need. So you'd basically have to outbid the Rays for any of these guys. And so I think if you're the Braves or the Yankees or one of these other teams that need pitchers, you know that's who you're bidding against. And so you may so you may end up with a an Alex Cobb or a Lance Lynn or whoever, because you're probably not going to outbid the Rays for the top two. Now, the dynamics could obviously change between here and the deadline, and they most likely will, and who knows if Otani is going to become available or not. But it's going to be very interesting. But right now, I would say the Rays are in the driver's seat based on, A, they need help, and B, they've got the capital to make it happen. So that's where the game is right now. Yeah, that's all really good stuff. I think I have a few a few names to add, a few names I want to go deeper on from these lists. Um, you mentioned Giolito. You kind of have to also mention along with him Dylan Cease. Uh, but I, I think there's just going to be too much of a gap on Cease for any team, at least, at least how it looks right now. Things could change over the coming month and a half. But Dylan Cease is not pitching well at all, and... I think the White Sox, given the years of control and given their kind of odd spot on the competitive window, I think they're going to still be valuing him like the guy he was last year, like a frontline starter. And I think mm -hmm. if you're an acquiring team, you can't be valuing him like that. You have to bake in the risk that maybe he isn't as good as we thought he was. And, you know, we, we are interested in the upside, but we can't just act like that's who he is. We got to take down the price a little bit. So I think I think we're going to hear some buzz about Cease, but I don't know if anything gets done there just because of the gap in perception that's likely there. Um, a couple yeah. other names that could theoretically fit into that upper tier. Um, you know, you mentioned with the Cubs, with Stroman and Smiley, they did just activate Kyle Hendricks. I think he's kind of in that Smiley where he's on the cusp of that first tier if he's back, you know, even if he's in, that, that, that's saying if he's himself. Um, and clearly he has not been himself the last year or two. So a lot of ifs involved there, but he is an interesting name at least. And one that I just kind of stumbled upon, but I'm interested by a little bit, and this might be a little bit too pie in the sky, but Chris Sale. So obviously he hasn't been, you know, usual Chris Sale this year. He's not the same guy he's always been. He has a 472 ERA. That's not what you think of when you think Chris Sale, but it would be, or at least it would feel like a very Heim bloom esque move if the Red Sox dip out of the race and, you know, it's such a competitive AL East that it's not that hard to envision them falling out of it in the next month and a half. Um, and, you know, Sale, his, his underlying numbers aren't that bad and he still has the name value. And so would it all be all that surprising to see Heim try to get out of a little bit of the remainder of that contract you know maybe he pays it down halfway or something and some other team gives him a prospect he likes and and as an acquiring team you can really talk yourself into that of saying hey the market is so thin there are are there any guys on this list that really have the upside of a healthy Chris Sale maybe Giolito like yeah, I, I think he could, he's an interesting like sleeper pick. I think he's my current sleeper pick. I don't think it's likely by any means. The money makes it hard. I bet he has a no trade clause. And, you know, the Red Sox are still a decent team, somewhat in contention. Um, but it's, it's an interesting what if case, in my opinion.
Yeah, no, I think it's a good call, and I've kept my eye on him as well um, because, you know, he had so many injury problems in the last few years. Some of them were pitching-related, some were not, and so it was hard to tell what was what. You know, he just hadn't pitched much at all, really, in the last couple of years. And so at least he's back this year, and he looks okay. Maybe not the same, maybe he's shaking off some rust, but you do, to your point, have, you know, his name value is tempting, right? Oh, Chris Sale, maybe it's Chris Sale of 2018 or whatever. You know, there's still that thought in the back of people's heads, right? So, you know, he's older, not the same anymore, but he's still got that. Maybe you could rely on, on him, you know, throw him in a playoff situation. He may be that Chris Sale again. So I think that's going to be tempting to people if he does become available. And to your point, I wouldn't see I'm Bloom hesitating if if, if he got the right offer. Yes, his contract is underwater because, you know, he, he's overpaid and he hasn't been quite that guy. But, um, you know, so there probably have to be some cash involved or some creativity. But, um, but yeah, I could see that because I'm Bloom's a rational guy and he's going to want to see the long term for the as opposed to the short term. So, you know, what the other point is, if you know, if you've got too much demand and not of supply, the market will adjust. Right. Guys are going to come out of the woodwork. Teams are going to start to fall apart. You might see a Stroman come in the, on the market. You might see a Chris Sale come in the market. So the market's going to start to even out a little bit between supply and demand. So some of these other guys that are sort of, eh, your Trevor Williams is, you know, they'll they'll be ancillary. They'll be third tier instead of second tier because these market the market will change a little bit. Yeah, and one more note on Sale. I it reminds me a little bit of Zach Greinke from a few years ago when the D-backs traded him to the Astros and it was this last minute deal and nobody saw it coming. His name wasn't even brought up in rumors at all. And obviously there was the contract involved. And I think, I think Greinke was a little bit more in his prime at the time than Sale is now, but uh, he wasn't quite, he still wasn't quite pitching at that top tier Zach Greinke level. And I think that's part of what made him available to be acquired you also had the financial considerations but i wonder if a team like the astros who clearly were creative enough to pull off that deal granted under different leadership but um, i wonder if a team like them where you mentioned in this article that they don't really have the prospect capital to be pushing and, and bidding for a giolito type I wonder if instead they use some of their financial resources in something like this, where mm -hmm. if they have a name yeah. or two the Red Sox like and, and they just, you know, maybe take on more money in a deal like this, give up one of those fringier names that might not be an impact player to everyone. But Bloom, he has his guys that he likes. He, I think there was a recent article about how much he likes trading for pros prospects and the, kind of the challenge involved in it. Um, I wonder if they can make something work there. Um, yeah. A couple names I just want to single out from that second tier list that you have. Alex Cobb, I think he's just really good. Like, I know he's older. I know he's making some money. And I know, um, you know, on the, on the Giants, they are kind of a bubble team still. But I think he's just really good. And I think a smart team would be very happy to trade for him at the deadline. And I think I think a lot of smart teams would probably put him in that top impact tier if they could... Uh, you know, guarantee that he'd be available at the deadline. Yeah, I mean, he's not an ace, right? But he's a reliable three. And so to your point, that's, especially in these circumstances, that's worth something. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Right. And then the last name on there, actually two names, uh, Lance Lynn is another guy I could, I don't think he's the same guy he always was or anything. I'm not saying he is going to bounce back. But I think teams, when they're presented with this list of options, let's say they're 
out of the race for Giolito or Rodriguez or a potential Shane Bieber or Stroman, and they need to look at the second list, I think he's going to be the name that pops out to a lot of teams. And they say like, oh, if we can fix him, he could be as good as those other guys, right? And that's a big if, you know, he's old and struggling and, you know, at some point it's all going to fall apart. You can't just be a fastball only guy forever. But I think he stands out amongst that second list as guys who you could at least see that upside in, right? He's definitely a more exciting acquisition than Trevor Williams or Jordan Lyles. Like he, he stands out above yeah. those other guys. Um, and then last yeah. one I want to bring up is Patrick Corbin mm-hmm. because for a while he's just seemed entirely untradeable unless you're slapping him on a Juan Soto trade like we discussed at length many times. Um, but he's been okay this year. Right. Like if you, right. if you squint and like right. really squint. Um, and, and there were some articles written about how in 2022, he just got absolutely abused by the Washington defense. Like they could not get an out behind him. And part of that's that he's giving up 110 mile an hour rockets to every part of the field. Um, but even when he wasn't, they, they just couldn't turn batted balls into outs behind him. And so I'm not saying he's the Patrick Corbin of old. I'm not saying he's any good. And I know there was a point in the last couple of years where I probably made a very similar argument about Madison Bumgarner, where he had like a, like a decent handful of starts to, to begin the season. And it's like, uh, he might like, he's not an ace, <laughs> but he might not be that bad. And if, if a team really needs some innings to be eaten and, and, uh, the other team will pay down the contract. You know, you could maybe squint and see something happening. I think I'm in the same spot with Patrick Corbin right now where, you know, that's what I'm thinking. But if he has two or three Patrick Corbin starts that look like his 2021, 2022 self, his numbers are just going to be right back where they were during those seasons. And he's going to look like untradeable again. Um, but he's at least, I think we're worth keeping just the, the slightest of an eye on like, there might yeah. be a little shred of something there and you know the nationals are incentivized to get rid of him however they can do so yeah and i mentioned that as well like this may be their only shot to trade him because he's been untradeable until now and now there's a little bit of a spark of life there for some reason i'm thinking the cardinals would be a good fit maybe it's because you've got some some defense there they've always been big on defense there and to your point maybe they can you know make those plays if he's, he's given up some hot grounders or Renato can grab one here here and there you know you've got some guys there and they like the older guys so uh you know for some reason that feels like a fit yeah he's and the other yeah from a, from a performance perspective he's right in the vein of you know the the j hap john lester type that they yeah, seem to exactly. always be lining up for <laughs> right and 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 the other point you made uh which i think is interesting is that you know guys teams that lose out on the Giolitos and Negrods because they don't have the prospect capital that's interesting enough to compete with the Rays. But teams that do have some financial wherewithal to take on some of Corbin's contract, I mean, they're Nationals clearly going to have to pay down a lot of it, but maybe they can just get by with, okay, we'll, you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll pay some of it and, and we don't have to give up any prospect capital to get him. I think you can see a team doing that. I wonder if you could even see a team talking themselves into something like that where they also get like, joey manessis or somebody else they also i'm not you know the slim pickings on that nationals roster they don't really yeah. have a ton of guys that you're gonna line up and say Corey dickerson sure yeah <laughs> um alex call there you go. Uh, yeah, sure. but yeah there's you know, even even jimer condelario is having oh, yeah, an right. okay season 
Um, a little bit of surplus there. Yeah, so, so you wonder if, or, or heck, maybe a team that has two rotation spots to fill, Trevor Williams, why not? Or they mm-hmm, want a reliever, yeah. Kyle Finnegan, Hunter Harvey, come on down, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. There's at least, you know, I, I don't think a, a, a straight Patrick Corbin deal necessarily makes a ton of sense for anyone unless he you know rattles off a couple decent starts here and and becomes a more attractive option from a pitching perspective but if you're talking okay they're gonna pay down patrick corbin's contract we're gonna owe him like five or ten millions dollars the next couple years and we can also get a pretty solid like impact bat like manessa's you know solid dh first baseman who the nationals should be more than willing to part with given that he's on the wrong side of 30 already such a late bloomer and his his value is right now he's only going to go down from here um if you can get that for just like a a middling prospect and and the price of whatever chunk of corbin's contract you're going to take i could see a team potentially biting at that yeah and we've seen a lot of those in the past those kind of creative deadline deals and um you know the one thing i will say is the money still matters you know, a lot of teams are, they spent a lot of money in the off season and there's a lot, there's a lot of teams that ride up against luxury tax limits and don't want to go over it. And so taking on a contract will be hard for some teams. And so that's going to limit the potential landing spots of a Corbin where you're really going to have to take on some money or make a deal with the Nationals to, at least to take on some of it. So, you know, those deals sound good in theory, but the options in reality are limited because of team's financial flexibility right yeah especially you know there's the bally situation and some other factors at play on the financial side that could limit some teams okay well i think that's a good enough summary of the article i'll have it linked in the description in in the show notes here for folks to read if they haven't already um to close out this episode I figured we could just kind of run down the line on some of these bubble teams, give, you know, a brief rundown of where they are right now and where we think they'll end up in the next month, month and a half, two months as we lead up to the deadline here. Um, I want to start by touching base on the Cardinals again, who we discussed last time in this, in this kind of conversation, we talked about the Cardinals and the White Sox as two like very disappointing supposed contenders that, um, could be at least starting to think about selling. Um, the Cardinals have been much better recently. Uh, they're still under 500 because they dug themselves such a big hole to start the year. They're four games back in the division right now, despite being 24 and 30. And that's because the Brewers haven't capitalized on the Cardinals slump. They've also been really banged up. The Brewers have and their starting pitching, which was supposed to lead the team hasn't been getting the job done. Uh, the Pirates are cooling off like we all kind of expected them to. They're right around 500 now, and so the door is still wide open for the Cardinals. I don't think, I don't think anybody in that front office is seriously considering being sellers yet, at least at this point. Um, and, and you can, when you look up and down their lineup, and they're, uh, we're not going to talk about their rotation, but <laughs> when you when you look up and down their lineup, you can see why. You know, it's it's a very strong lineup, top to bottom, with some upside plays and some established stars like Goldie and Arenado and Nolan Gorman is hitting really well. And Lars Newtbar looks like he's just a, a really good player. So I, I think, you know, none of this is a surprise to us. We talked about this 
at length on the last episode about how, yeah, we, we believe much more strongly in a Cardinals bounce back than a White Sox bounce back. And we think they'll be kind of right back in the race. All it takes is a couple hot weeks. And lo and behold, they're already starting on that kind of turnaround. Um, I think there are still significant questions about that rotation. It still does not look good. They did finally, to your credit and to something that you've talked about a lot, they did finally call up Matt Libertor. Um, he's been just as meddling, just as mediocre as the rest of their starters through his first two big league starts. Um, but yeah, so just wanted to provide that update. Uh, do you have any new thoughts here on the Cardinals on where they could go next? I know there's a lot of conversations about them potentially moving an outfielder. So, so part one of my answer is the NL central is kind of a, <laughs> dog's dinner as they say <laughs> there's nobody who wants it and the brewers nobody really believes in the brewers right and i guess it's because their their starting pitching has been you know surprisingly bad and that's been you know they had they need that starting pitching in order to carry them as it did in the last couple of years um but now adamas is hurt woodbrook's been on the shelf burns has not been the same kind of guy he has been in the past i'm like uh, what's going like you can't really see the brewers are still in first place but you can't really underpinning that there's nothing right it's hot air so like there's nobody really believing in the brewers even though according to fangraphs they have a 51 percent chance to make playoffs so so they're not out of it clearly because they're still in first base but but it's like whoever's going to win that division is going to do it by default it's the last man standing situation and you think because of the cardinals and the way they're run and because of their depth and all the other things that they typically do they usually go for it they usually make a run they usually get hot in the second half so you know, history would suggest the Cardinals, it's there for the taking. So I agree with that. But, you know, it's weird because nobody else seems to want it. Um, and then, yeah, they have a surplus as well to deal with from, you know, in the outfield in particular uh, of young players and coming up as well that they need, may, need to make room for. Jordan Walker still doesn't have a spot. He's getting hot again in AAA. So they've, and they've got Tyler O'Neill on the shelf. He's probably the most obvious trade candidate, but the fact that he's, he's their most obvious trade candidate hurts his value to some degree because everyone knows it and so they're probably going to get underbid for him so the ones you want are the ones that they don't want to give up right which is always the case in trade negotiations right the one yeah we want Nubar, we want you know nolan gorman we want the hot guys right like no no no, we don't want to give you the hot guys we want to give you the cold guys <laughs> here have o'neill have carlson <laughs> you know so that's the situation there um, I will say one more thing about Dylan Carlson, though. Everybody likes to rag on Dylan Carlson because he's clearly not much of an impact player. But for some reason, all the projection systems still love Dylan Carlson, and all all of them think he's at least a two-war player, and he's got so much control, he's still pre-arb, that that's why his value is still high, even though we know he hasn't quite been delivering on that at the major league level. But it, So I think that's a weird case, but otherwise, yes, they've got pieces to move. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, it's... They have these upside pieces when you talk about a Carlson or an O'Neill, but O'Neill is a, is a tough one because he only has a couple years of, of arbitration remaining until he's a free agent. And it's, you know, it's hard to find a great fit for that. You know, maybe the White Sox would like him since they're, you know, maybe they decide to kind of just retool instead of rebuild and try again one more time with this core. And they do have a hole in the corner outfield. So maybe that's a fit. Um. But yeah, they, even beyond those guys, they have a few names on the farm they could move. They have a handful of these like tweener, you know, the Alec Burleson types and a Juan Yepes and, and guys like that that are more of a secondary piece in a deal or 
I guess could headline a piece for one of those lesser starting pitching names that we talked about. Um, but yeah, I, I think they're still positioned pretty well here to make a move. And I will reiterate though, from our last time that if they do end up as sellers, if they do fall back here a little bit, uh, Jordan Montgomery becomes an attractive starting pitching trade candidate. He's, yes. His ERA has gone up a little bit since the last time we talked about him, but I still think he is he would belong in that top tier that we discussed. Yeah, I agree. Okay, let's stick in the Central. We talked about them a bit uh, in your starting pitching discussion, but the Chicago Cubs, they are at the bottom of the Central, 22 and 29. Uh, only four and a half games back in the division because it's been so mediocre. But... I think we kind of expected this, you know, we kind of had them pegged as like a bit of a bubble team that, you know, if everything goes right, they're a wild card team. If everything doesn't go right, then this is kind of what they are. They're near the bottom of that division. Um, and they, they might have a few names that are worth considering here, even beyond those starting pitchers that we talked about, you know, Stroman is probably the, the, the top name. If he's pitching well and if he's available, he is in that upper tier. Uh, Hendricks is a maybe Smiley is a maybe, uh, they got a couple possibilities in the bullpen as well. And Michael Fulmer might get some takers if he's pitching decent. Mm. Um, but in the lineup, I think there's a couple names that, that could be interesting. They obviously extended Ian Happ and, and Nico Horner and Swanson aren't going anywhere. And Suzuki isn't going anywhere. But Patrick Wisdom, maybe. I, I could see him yeah. being an attractive power option. He's continuing to do his Patrick Wisdom thing where he's all power and pretty much nothing else. But it works. It's working for now, at least. Mm. Um and Jan Gomes could be attractive to a team who needs a catcher. So just a couple oh, yeah. names that I think are worth mentioning. They're not going to command the market or, or lead the market for any of these guys, but um, mm. you know, they're interesting. You could see them being moved. Yeah, you could. And clearly the Cubs have their eye on the ball longer term than shorter term. They're making moves to that effect. They're extending their, their good guys. They're, they're hoping to contend and maybe sneak into a wild card this year, but they're not banking on it. That front office knows what it's doing, and they know, okay, it's probably not going to be their year, but let's keep moving forward for the for the future. So um, if they're out of it, they're, they're going to sell whatever they can. Yeah, clearly. Yeah, agreed. Uh, let's go to the Phillies real quick. So I don't – let me preface by saying I don't think there's any real chance the Phillies do go on a big sale given – the magic season they had last year and how much money is invested into this team. I don't think there's any real incentive, even if they are below 500 at the deadline, even if it does look like they're out of it, I don't think they have any incentive to trade off many pieces. Um, that being said, they are off to a disappointing start to the year. They're 25 and 27 and the East looks like it's going to be a dogfight. You know, maybe the Marlins are playing a bit better than we expected, but the Braves and the Mets still look like the one and two in that division, and they're going to be hard to beat, even even with the Mets' struggles as of late. Um, but the Phillies, a bit disappointing. You know, you don't see anything necessarily standing out to you about this team that they could, you know, in some off chance where they decided to either sell or do kind of a... Uh, buy sell at the deadline you know move one piece to upgrade another type situation you don't really see anything that stands out but i feel like i have to at least mention aaron nola um it, it seems sacrilegious <laughs> to to a phillies fan and it seems like a long shot but he is in his last year of team control he's going to mm. be a free agent and they didn't make any progress on extension talks before the season started so maybe he is also having 
a bit of a rough season. Um, I, I don't think there's anything there. I don't think he's a name we should really be keeping looking at too seriously unless things get a lot worse for the Phillies in the next few weeks. But I figured I'd at least bring his name up. Ooh, you went there. Yeah. Um, yeah, our Phillies friends are not going to be happy about that. But um, I'm going to counter with that and say one word, Dombrowski. He doesn't back down. He, he tends to be a buyer, right? And last year is only going to embolden him even more. Dabrowski's going to Dabrowski, so he's going to trade prospects and go for it. I think he's the more likely scenario, so don't get your hopes up, folks, that Nola's going to be on the market, because I don't think he will be. I think you're going to see Dombrowski trade a Griff McGarry or a Justin Crawford for, for whatever he needs. I think they're going to try. Yeah, and the other issue there is, you know, even if their offense hasn't been quite what they'd hoped it would be, you know, there's a couple guys who are under underperforming a little bit. I, Kyle Schwarber's still hitting 166. I don't think that's going to last all season. Um, even so, I it, it's a fine lineup, you know. And there's a lot of guys who are who are kind of entrenched there, who you can't really move around, make an upgrade over because they're locked in there long term. Uh, what this what this team needs is starting pitching. So it, you can't even make a type of deal where it's like, okay, we'll trade Nola, but for another like star level talent, who's going to help another area of need on our team. Uh, that, that doesn't make as much sense for a team like this, where their biggest yeah, need yeah. right now is clearly starting pitching. So I, like I said, very unlikely. I just wanted to, I want to be the first to say the name in case things do go catastrophically wrong. I can say, Hey, I was first on that one. <laughs> Not, yeah. not that I think it'll happen, and I, not that I'm rooting for it to happen. I think the Phillies are a fun team, and they're going to be in it the whole year. Um, now, I think they're going to trade for a first baseman. they got you know a black hole there right mm-hmm. now. they got Cody Clemens playing first right now, and he's batting ninth. I mean, but you know, you've got – you had a breakout season from Brandon Marsh and a semi-breakout season from Bryson Stott. So those are two pluses. You've got Trey Turner, who you signed to a big contract, who is off to a rocky start, but he's – come on. He's Trey Turner. He's going to turn it around. You just got Bryce Harper back. There's your, there's, there's your superstar. You, Schwerber, to your point, is probably got to have some positive regression. He always turns it on the second half. Castellanos is still a bat. Real Muto is going to turn it on. You know, you've got a lineup there, right? All you have to do is fill that first baseball base hole. Um, and yes, but, you know, Aaron Nola at his best, when you combine him with Zach Wheeler, is a formidable one-two punch, right? And then you've got Taiwan Walker and Ranger Suarez, who are sort of the three-four guys. You do need another guy, it's true. Because um, he shouldn't be pitching Matt Strom in the rotation. Um, so yeah, I think they're going to be buyers. I think you're going to see them, you know, try for a Giolito or an Erod and dangle some prospects. Yeah, Suarez is a concern. He just has not looked right this season. I know it's only a few mm-hmm. starts, and I know he started the year injured, but he's the real concern there. I mean, Walker is also not looking the best given the amount of money they just committed to him. Um, yeah, we knew that was an overpay. Yeah. We told you guys. Yep. But I wonder, <laughs> and maybe this is a little bit of just trying to, a little bit too much of trying to match apples to apples. Um, I wonder if Lance Lynn would be a fit here. He seems to yeah. kind of fill the Cindergard mold from last year of like, yeah, not, not having an amazing year, but could eat some innings and and has kind of that pedigree and i could see him being a guy who you know they used i'm pretty sure they used strasburg not strasburg Cindergard a little bit out of the bullpen in the postseason last year i could see lynn mm. kind of filling that role too um yep 
He just throws fastballs, right? That's all right. he does. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> moves it around. <laughs> yeah. And, and I don't think that would be the only move necessarily, because I think you're right about Dombrowski. He's going to he's gonna make a big move if he has to with this team. Um, so I, I don't think it would be Lynn and, and they're rolling to the World Series or anything. <laughs> but I like that fit. It, it seems like it makes sense. And I do need to mention yeah. as well that uh, Derek Hall should be coming back within the next few weeks to maybe help out at first base i know it's it's far from a like yep there's our solution we're done here we go uh but yeah right. i think they did like what they they did like what they saw from him last year and they do have plans for him to be a part of that team going forward uh, i still think they'll need one more bat yeah. but fair point yeah. okay um going through the list here um i'm not seeing too much more on the nl side that's too interesting to me um, the Padres are underperforming right now, but I don't think there's any chance on the planet that they sell. Kind of same deal with the Mets. Like these are those are two teams that are set up to buy only, and the fact that they're struggling is not going to make them consider selling. It's going to make them consider buying more aggressively, if anything else. Um, and you know, a team like the D-backs, where they're playing really well, they don't really, you know, even if they did cool off, or even if they did just decide to, you know, kind of not not jump the gun on anything and and maybe sell off a couple pieces it's not like they have a ton there to sell they have a lot of longer term pieces in place um i guess the d-backs maybe a lourdes guriel or a christian walker could be available i don't think there's any chance they make zach allen available um mm, no. and i mean this is this is a good team this is a team that doesn't need to be having this conversation i'm just saying that if um if things went, yeah. went south in the next few weeks, since they are like a little bit of ahead of schedule with being this good, um, I guess maybe they make a Zach Davies available or Merrill Kelly, maybe, but I don't think so because he's kind of a local fixture and they like him a lot. Um, but yeah, just not not yeah. a whole lot that's worth really. Yeah, getting I could too see them moving about. one of those. I could see them moving one of those young outfielders though, because mm -hmm. they do have a bit of a surplus there. Um, you know, no, obviously not Corbin Carroll, but Alec Thomas has been kind of iffy. Dominic Fletcher's been kind of iffy, and so I don't know how much interest there will be. But they've got a lot of control and some talent, some pedigree. So there's some maybe they can see. You know, they they pulled the trigger on Varsho last year, so they could pull the trigger on one of those guys and still get something good back for the future. The team that I'm still sort of baffled by is the Giants. Like, I'm somewhat surprised that they're over 500, given the fact that they're still kind of, you know, long in the tooth and don't have a whole lot of young energy there, and they're still hanging in there. Like, I can't quite make out whether they're buyers or sellers. What do you think? Yeah, I just... They are just a... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? They're just a perpetually weird team. And it seems like they've been in this spot for a few years, right? Has anything really yeah. changed other than, no. <laughs> you know, obviously they got, was that 2021 that they got the, the insane seasons yeah. out of uh, out of Posey and Posey, Crawford? Crawford and, yeah. and that's obviously well behind them. Um, yeah. But I don't, what is, yeah, you're right. Like, what's the direction of this team? <laughs> they got these kind of one or two year guys that they brought in and Conforto and Hanniger. Who like yeah they're they're quality players they're playing fairly well they're kind of doing what you'd expect them to do, and then they've got a couple of young guys that they're starting to work into things you know they they really like Casey Schmidt and he's off to a hot start. Um, Blake Sable is like at least interesting-ish. Is he even on the team anymore? Actually, <laughs> uh, uh, I think so. He he's is. Just injured. Yeah, well, I, 
Uh, yeah, I think he's injured. Um, I'll double check. Uh, but uh, David VR, that's the other one I was going for, where he's shown some flashes. He's not hitting all that well this year. Um, but, you know, they, they're, they're starting to work in a couple of young pieces, but then they still have the Lamont Wades and J.D. Davises and, the you know, they still got Crawford hanging around and just some of these, like, middling... Who's done, by the way? Yes, yeah. <laughs> but still just some of these, like, really middling guys yeah. who it's not like they have a lot of value to any other. I mean, and I don't mean to discount Lamont Wade at all. He's pretty good. And J.D. Davis is hitting pretty well. But it's you're right. It's hard to really pick a direction. These aren't guys where you commit and say, these guys are great. We're going to stick with them. This is our core. We're going to add to this by trading prospects at the deadline, right? But they're yeah, also exactly. playing too well to really consider trading off any of these guys and not like any of these guys have too much value in trade anyway. So yeah, you're, you're, I think you're very justified in being puzzled by this team and where it could even go from here. All right. I got it. Here's my theory. They've embraced mediocrity and what you get, what you see is what you get. They are a mediocre team. They're a 500 team. They signed, you know, not the superstar free agents, but the just okay-ish free agents, both in the pitching department and in the hitting department. And they're getting what they paid for, which is okay-ish production, which makes them an okay-ish team. There's no stars. There's no core. They're just a bunch of okay-ish guys. So uh, <laughs> yeah. I guess, you know. <laughs> yeah, I think, okay, if I, if I take a step back from this and look at it again, I think one spot, you could see them trade an outfielder, right? Because they have Yastrzemski, who's, you know, he is what he is. He's on the wrong side of 30, late bloomer, but he seems like he's kind of their guy, and that's okay. You know, they, they, they can ride him out. They don't need to trade him or anything. Uh, but they just picked up Conforto and Hanniger. Lamont Wade's playing some first base for them, but he's also an outfielder. They have Jock Peterson on the injured list, but he'll be back. They have Austin Slater, who they've always liked. I know he's a platoon guy, but he's, he's part of that mix as well. Um, they have a couple outfield prospects that they could give a look to. So I wonder if that's a position where they just have that natural surplus there. And so if a team comes calling about Michael Conforto, why not? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that. That's at least a little bit interesting, but it's, it's, you're right. It's, it's just hard to put together like a longer term picture here, unless this is a team that's really setting its sights on Otani. Um, which they, they very even well. So there's no core around. Right. That, it would know? just be another angel situation, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, at least, I don't know. I don't know if I can actually say that because this team has more like two win guys than the angels have ever had. And that's kind of the, yeah, but problem. they're all just on short term contracts. So yeah. there's not really a longer term direction there that you can say, okay, I'm going to fit into that. Yeah. And there's also not a trout sitting there, which, <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, puzzled by this i'm i'm disappointed that we couldn't come to any real conclusion here other than maybe an outfielder and you know maybe they'll make some of these starting pitchers available just you know taking advantage of the supply and demand um i guess a reliever or two something like that but there's not a natural spot necessarily to add to you know let's say they went on some hot streak between now and then and they're in like serious contention for a wild card spot i also don't see like an obvious spot to add a player Right. Because, I mean, I guess they'd be well situated Mm -hmm. since they have the starting pitching and they don't necessarily need to add there as much as other teams do. Yeah. But I I guess it catcher. I I guess it shortstop because Crawford uh, has been Crawford. (laughs) 
Um, yeah, maybe a bullpen arm. Everybody needs bullpen arms. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Right. Weird team. You're right. Yeah. Um, let's shift gears over to the American League real quick. I I don't know if there's a ton to break down here either that we haven't already discussed, but let's go ahead and let's start with the Red Sox just briefly. Uh, we mentioned them earlier with Chris Sale. They are fourth in the division right now. They are 28 and 24. Um, I guess if we are discussing the Red Sox, we should also discuss the Blue Jays, who are behind them in the division, despite also being over 500 at 27 and 26. Uh, the well, AL... Everybody's over 500 in that one. Yes, the AL East <laughs> is just a dogfight. Yeah. I guess, I guess uh-huh. before we get into any of these specific teams, what do you expect from the AL East? You know, I, it's safe to say the Rays, they're going to be buyers. You know, I don't know if they're this good and they're going to stay this good the rest of the year, but they're buyers. The Yankees, they're going to be buyers. The other three teams there, they're, they, I don't, I'm not going to say they could go either way, but they're a little less certain. So what do you think from those other three teams, Orioles, Red Sox, Blue Jays? Um, my gut tells me the Blue Jays are going to be buyers. The Orioles, we'll see where they are at the deadline. I'm certain, I'm certain the Orioles are not going to be sellers. I think they're done selling. Uh, if anything, they're going to be sniffing around the buying side, uh, but I don't think they're selling. Um, they do have a whole bunch of prospect capital, though, so um, watch out for them if they do get into a bidding war for a, a pitcher, which I think they're going to need. So they could be a surprise bidder for a Giolito type or if Shane Bieber comes in the market or somebody like that. They've got they've got some, some capital there to work with to compete with the Rays on that, and because the Rays are in their same division, it might be kind of one of those dynamics where like we don't want that team to get him so it's a double win if we get them and prevent that team from getting them so they could be the spoiler in effect in the trade market um, that's going to be a really interesting case to watch um, aside from that i do think you're going to see because they're all over 500 they're all feeling emboldened like wait if we don't win the division we at least got a shot at the wild card logically you could say yeah maybe all three wild cards might come from here because that is definitely the strongest division so um, I think the Blue Jays are going to be buyers. I think the Orioles will be sniffing. The Red Sox would kind of be the one team where you could say, eh, maybe we'll throw in the towel if things don't go our way. I think if you're the Orioles, you know, maybe it's maybe it's a little bit like last deadline where obviously they don't have, you know, the Trey Mancini who they traded at that time. And I don't think they are going to, like you said, I don't think they'll be sellers. But I wonder if they're still kind of biding their time and just running with what they have mm-hmm. a little bit. You know, maybe they make a fringe edition, bring back a Jordan Lyles, or actually, is he on that team right now? Where is Jordan Lyles? Uh, uh, Pirates. Okay. No, not Pirates. Uh, uh, I'll go. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I mixed up Jordan Lyles with other Jordan Lyles, who was named Kyle Gibson. Oh, uh, Royals. Ah, yeah. that makes sense. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so I wonder if they'd be more in that vein of let's make some cheap rental additions on on the fringes of the roster and just kind of shore things up a little bit and let's hang on to this capital a little longer this prospect capital until we find our guy and maybe that's just me reading the situation wrong maybe that's me putting too much stock into how they acted last offseason and last trade deadline where they just were would not they were just acting like they were still a last place team and couldn't make any additions for the life of them. Uh, but maybe that's also me being lower on Shane Bieber than a lot of folks. And I'm, I've voiced it on this podcast before. I'm very concerned about the decline in velocity, the decline in strikeouts, his injury history. I think mm-hmm. he's a ticking time bomb. And 
I think the Orioles are smart, and they can probably see that too. I mean, I, I'm sure a lot of teams can see that, but I'm sure the, the Orioles would look at that and say, hey, we got all this talent on the farm. We have all these bullets. Let's make sure we're spending them in the right way. Let's make sure we're yeah. actually targeting guys who are going to be a part of this next great Orioles team, surround, like centered by Rutschman and Cedric Mullins and Gunnar Henderson and Jackson Holiday when he's up and some of these other prospects that they have. Uh, let's let's not jump the gun here and and spend some of this before it really makes sense to do so. So I wonder if they sit back a little bit. That's that's just kind of the vibe I get from them. And especially, you know, if they're looking at the rest of the division, they're looking at the Red Sox who have just been kind of okay the last few years and they're not getting any younger. Um, the Blue Jays, I'm not going to say their window is closing by any means, but it's certainly not like opening the way it was like it looked like it was opening a couple years ago and look at all these young talents and, and look at how good these guys are Vlad Bichette uh, but now those guys are like well into their careers and, and getting older and the team's getting more expensive and maybe it's harder to keep them competitive in the upcoming years and the Yankees are getting older and getting banged up and so I wonder if the Orioles also look at those three teams and say like these three teams are really competitive this year. That might not be the case next year and the year after that. So maybe we wait and line up our best team with a, a competitive window that lines up more favorably for us compared to those other teams. That's yeah. That's my feel on it, at least. Yeah. No, I think that makes some sense. Um, there's one more point about the Orioles. They they need pitching. I mean, not just for this year, but for ensuing years as well. Obviously, Grayson Rodriguez is their future ace. They just optioned him because he's not quite ready for prime time yet, but it would seem. Um, which leaves them with not a whole lot in that rotation. I mean, they do have an interesting lineup. Obviously, they struck gold with Yannir Cano, who's been lights out, probably the best reliever in baseball this year. And they already had Felix Bautista, and they've got another guy named Brian Baker who's been pretty good. So they've got a bullpen. They just don't have a rotation, and especially without Grayson Rodriguez kind of making his mark yet. And so I do think they need help there if they're going to make a run. They're 33-19. and 19. They're the second-best team in the AL East. They've got enough energy and enough going on to be serious about it. But they can't go into the playoffs with you know kyle gibson is their number one starter i mean i'm sorry nothing against kyle gibson but he's not a number one so like you either make a bold move and trade for like a well an erod or a, a Jolito Jolito would certainly help at least for this playoff run and it won't cost you that much because they're rentals as we talked about or you could get creative and look for somebody who you can you can maybe who's got a couple of years left, like a Dylan Cease, and say, eh, maybe we can work with him. There might be some interest there. Um, so that's an option. Or you could just trade for Giolito and extend him. So I, but I do think they're looking more long-term because they're going to need more pitching long-term because outside of Grayson, there's, you know, Deal Hall, maybe a reliever. There's not a whole lot on their farm, frankly. They traded for a couple of guys, Keith Povich, uh, Seth Johnson, who are just sort of marginal guys that I don't know if they're going to be serious rotation guys. Um, but the fact that they traded for those guys means they know they need pitching help in the long term. So that's the thing I'm keeping my eye on is Orioles pitching there. And I know they're going to get John Means back. That'll help a little bit. Um, but he's also had some setbacks, so I can't really count on him. They definitely need pitching. Yeah, agreed. Um, looking over to Boston and Toronto real quick. Um I'm not seeing a whole lot of pieces in Boston. 
outside of, you know, I, I had my whole sale discussion and I guess Kenley Jansen maybe as a reliever. Um, I guess maybe a, a Justin Turner or an Alex Verdugo. Uh, but I'm not, I'm not seeing a whole ton of pieces in Boston that would make sense to trade. Um, they have kind of a, a tweener team of, you know, there's guys like Yoshida and, and Devers who are locked in there long term. And then younger pieces like Duran and Cassis. And these are guys that they are still, you know, they're long-term pieces of the future. There's no reason to trade those guys. Um, so I'm not yeah. seeing a lot there for them to trade outside. Of, and I mean, Same. maybe James Paxton, depending on how he's looking at the time, if he's even still healthy. Um, so not, yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess Adam, Hernandez is not a... Adam Duvall will be back soon. So he could get flipped. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say Keith Hernandez, mm-hmm. you know, had a little bit of a track record, but he's not having a great year and he's still got a contract that, is you know he's being paid what he's worth or more mm-hmm. so there's no surplus value there yeah um if they you know verdugo maybe because he's you know he's gonna be a free agent after next year so maybe the clock's ticking on him maybe they can make a move there he's got some value he's having a decent year that's really their best trade chip frankly and i don't think they want to dip in their pitching because they've got pitching issues as well as, as does everybody else so you know I don't know when Trevor's story is coming back. Um, that may be a factor as well. Um, but that contract's not looking so good either. So, I mean, there's not really anybody who can, you can say, yeah, we can trade this guy and that'll be an impact, and, you know, get us some pieces back. Really is not much. Verdugo gets you something, but there's not much else. Yeah, and if they, on the flip side of that, if they decided to be buyers, you know, they're, they're a sleeper team with the the type of prospect capital that they do have. The you know the the caveat to that is that Heim Bloom has never really been aggressive in trading his big name prospects. He's really been a let's get these guys in, develop them, get them to the majors type. But they yeah. do have names there that would you know they have some depth if they were talking more of a Giolito or Rodriguez type. A, a, I wonder, if, I wonder if Rodriguez makes sense for a homecoming there or not. I, I don't think so, given it didn't really mm, yeah. go well the first time as far as, you know, the defense behind him in the ballpark, and maybe they're not involved there. But a Stroman or a, or a Giolito would take some of their, like, you know, 45 future value type guys who are uh, in mm-hmm. the system. But um, if, if they really convince themselves for a guy like Bieber, they have the capital for it, for sure, and to be putting up as competitive as an offer as anyone. Um, but I just don't think that's their style. No, I mean, he's from the race school, right? So um, he's going to do his race thing, right? Which is trade the old guys to buy new guys and keep the pipeline going. And that's what he wants to establish in Boston. Hasn't quite done it yet, but that's what he's trying to do. Yeah. And then jumping over to Toronto um, on the selling side of things, Matt Chapman, he's cooled off considerably since that hot start to the year, but he is, still a very good player you know maybe the defense isn't platinum glove like it used to be but the offense seems like it's back kind of where he was of being a well above average bat and then bat plus an above average glove is a really solid player and he is a free agent at the end of the year so if there was a team with a need at third base um i could even see you know i actually had i had matt chapman to the phillies pegged back when he was on the a's and they were shopping him but I wonder if that makes some sense. That solves their first base problem by you stick him at third and Alec Bohm over at first. That would be interesting to me. Um, beyond that, though, it's kind of a similar case. You know, there's a couple veterans, Brandon Belt and Kevin Kiermeyer. They're both playing okay. Belt hasn't really been hitting for power, but Kiermeyer's been really solid. 
um, they might be attracted to some to some teams in it. Um, not really much on the pitching side that makes sense for them to move at this point. Uh, I guess whether they're buying or selling, it's it's tough to imagine Kevin Biggio having a spot in Toronto for very much longer. No. I know his value's down to zero. I'm if if, yeah. if not zero, close to it. Yeah, um, it is. Yeah, he's just not worked out <clears throat> at all. He, he's really come a long ways since his strong rookie year. Um, so like that, it's another team that doesn't really just have a lot for them to sell. So at that point, even if they are kind of around 500, why not just stand pat and see if you can get hot, right? Yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, maybe they sell a reliever just to kind of cycle them out, you know, an Anthony Bass or a Yee Garcia or an Adam Simber, one of those guys. Because they've got a few of those guys who've had their better days, you know, here and there. So maybe there's some interest, but you're not going to get much for those guys, if anything at all. Jose Barrios is having a little bit of a bounce back year, but he's, his contract is still underwater, and they probably don't want to mess with that. Um, Manoa, what the heck is going on with Alec Manoa? He has been awful this year, and he's supposed to be their ace. That is their biggest problem, is Manoa is not being a Manoa. Um, and his value has really been dropping. Um, but he's still, you know, he's got that track record, so you got to wonder if it's just something that can be fixed. But that is their biggest issue, I think. Springer's not having a good year. Um, yeah. Um, but they've got enough there. Bo Bichette is on fire. And he usually is cold in, in April, and then he turns it on. But he's already turned it on, and he's just going. He's having an MVP kind of year. So um, you've got kind of a mix of good and bad here going on, which is weird. Let's see how – I would give it a little bit more time to see how it shakes out. Yeah, it's a team where – even if they went to go make an addition, there's not really a clearly logical spot. Like they have positions of weakness, but those positions of weakness are like you say, it's because their proven players just aren't performing right now. Yeah. You know, you're not right. going to bump Manoa out of the rotation. Are you <laughs> like, at least not, not right mm -hmm. now. Uh, I've, mm -hmm. I've read a couple of articles on him and it just doesn't seem good. You know, there's, there's no clear like, Oh, he just needs to start doing this and he'll be better. It's Hey, his fastball, it's, it's not moving the way it used to his slider. It's not moving the way it's, it used to. That's, that's a problem. It's, he's also throwing a little, uh, his velo is a little down. So there's, there's real yeah. concern there, I think. Um, yeah. But I, I think it is a case where the roster, they just need to kind of bank on the current players. You know, Dalton Varsho is not hitting. Alejandro Kirk took a pretty big step back. They just need their, their good players to start playing well again. And mm -hmm. if they want to address some of these holes, they do have a decent crop of, infield prospects and for the short-term future Bo Bichette's locked in at shortstop I guess they they'll want to hang on to some guys uh both as insurance for when he becomes a free agent and because I don't think Whit Merrifield is their long-term answer at second base and neither is Biggio uh yeah. but they're not trading Ricky Tiedemann they're not I don't think they're trading as in Barger who is a really good mm -hmm. infield prospect for them but there's yeah. a lot of guys in that tier after that that are kind of perfect trade fodder that they could roll through they um, could but you know they're the second tier guys yeah. that are not going to be as valuable yeah so, yeah um we are running up on time here and we have a couple divisions to get to still so just flying through this i think the central is very easy because <laughs> so many of these teams are so mediocre um don't need to talk about the tigers or the, or the royals even if they get hot yeah. they're they're either selling or standing pat we talked about the yeah. white Sox, and i don't think much has changed there and yeah. the Twins are going to be clear buyers unless things just totally fall apart here. Although it, it is worth mentioning that they have not capitalized on this weak division the way that they could have. Um, they've they've been kind of banged up themselves and underperforming. 
but I think that leaves Cleveland as a team that we that deserves our yeah. attention for a minute here. Uh, I know yeah. you brought them up earlier, so I'll let you take over here. Yeah, I mean, I think the the writing's starting to become more clear on the wall that um, they're going to be selling pitching. And I think Bieber is going to be dangled. If they're not already dangling him, they're certainly listening on him. We just talked about Bieber and his, his, his velocity drop and some other concerns, but he is a former you know, ace and some, he's got the name value of still have an ace. His value is dropping though. And it's probably going to drop some more if this continues before the deadline. It's, it's not, he's not going to be as worth as much as we show him being worth right now. Having said that, you know, he's still interesting. He's got a year of control after this year and it does fit the pattern. They have a tendency to kind of cycle through, right? They've got a number of, I mean, come on, they've got a pipeline of pitching that has always been their strength. And they're working through the young guys, and that's what they do. They sell off the old guys. They work in the young guys. And so Bieber is the next one in line after, you know, they you know they did this with Kluber and Clevenger and Carrasco, and this is another one of the line of guys. So it just may be his time because he's got a year and a half left, and they may be seeing that he's starting to slip a little bit. So get him, you know, and get the value you can while you can. But, you know, there is some some concern now that other people may be hesitant to give a whole lot for him because done the patterns they're saying. So but that's clearly the most interesting scenario. Um, Josh Bell's having a terrible year. I think that's a sunk cost. I think they should look to they do have a very strong farm bill. So it's not like they need more prospects, but I do think they need to, um, you know, cycle through and, you know, maybe calling this an off year. So um, and maybe look to get some 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 offensive help with a Bieber trade. I think it's the most likely scenario here. They're really, and we've said this year after year, they really need to start consolidating some of these guys. Mm -hmm. you, you could turn some of these prospects into a significant upgrade over Josh Bell or over, you know, even Ahmed Rosario, who's being, he's been a disappointment this year, or we don't need to keep running yeah. Mike Zunino out at catcher. You can promote Bo Naylor. There, there's some changes that are in order here, I think. Um, yeah. But I think you're right on Bieber that this is looking like it's the time, uh, given that A, he is still performing, and so maybe that's enough to hold off some of the concerns about him. And B, just like always, there's just a pipeline of pitching talent here. You know, Aaron Savali is hurt right now, strained oblique, but he'll be back. Uh, I think Tristan McKenzie is due back relatively soon. Um, I might be off on that. I think I, mm -hmm. I thought I remembered when he what got hurt in March. It was like a two-month time frame. So... He's likely working his way back. Like I said, could be off base on that. But even beyond those guys, you got the prospects, obviously. And you got, you know, Zach Plesak, no longer a prospect, but he's cooking in AAA. Uh, Joey Cantillo has been up and down a little bit. Gavin Williams is their next big name who hasn't debuted yet. Uh, but just up and down the farm, they have names. And so they have, the, yeah. they have the depth to be able to trade a Shane Bieber and maybe, you know, maybe also a Cal Quantrill or maybe also a... Zach Plesak and you know obviously those yeah. guys aren't pitching as well and would be lower valued but given the supply and demand factors maybe they'd get something they'd like for them and I think hand in hand with that they can also be a bit of buyers and if they find a good controlled position player on the market that they like consolidate some pieces and make that upgrade I think it's long overdue they've for how good their farm has been for the last three years they should not be this mediocre of a major league team they can't seem to find the bats, especially yeah. the outfield bats. That's That's been frustrating for them. They've got a wonderful pitching factory. 
you know, gold standard for pitching. I just, I don't know what, what it is. They can't develop hitters that well. Even the ones you thought were going to be good just never really developed. They had to trade Nolan Jones. Tyler Freeman doesn't look like he's an impact bat at all. Looks like a utility guy. I mean, there's just not, like, even when you think there's going to be some offense coming, it doesn't really materialize. So that's an organizational problem. Yes, definitely. They're going to have yeah, they're gonna have to trade for it. Yeah. yeah, and following up on McKenzie, he made a rehab start with AAA last night, so mm-hmm. he is working his way back. Um, last but not least, AL West. Um, I think the Astros are the Astros. They're not the super team that they've always been, but they are still quite good, and and maybe they have a couple more spots on that roster than usual to make some upgrades. But we don't need to go in depth on them or anything. Um, I think what's interesting here is a how strong the Rangers have started the year. And I don't know if I fully believe it, but this is also all being done without DeGrom. So mm, if they yeah. were to get him back, then that's just another, another bullet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Look out. Um, and they have a decent farm. They have some pieces to move here to make some upgrades. So I think they're a team to watch as a buyer that we might not have foreseen being this strong coming into the year. They, yeah, they're ahead of schedule. Yeah, right? and they have. I mean, they basically bought a whole rotation, right? Yeah. has been lights out for them. He's been their man, mm-hmm. um, so that's helped. And part one of the like silver linings, I guess, of how they're constructed is they have some positions where they could very obviously make some upgrades. You know, right now mm-hmm. Josh Smith is there is penciled in as their DH on a roster resource, and he's not very good. Robbie Grossman has been playing every day for them. He's not very good. Their their whole bench <laughs> yeah. is pretty weak right now. Um, and it's not like they really have too much offense on the injured list. It's Mitch Garver, who is oft injured at this point. They can't really expect too much from him. And is he healed around? So I, I think they're hey, in a position to Jonah add. Jonah Heim, Jonah Heim, yes, man. Jonah Heim's great. Yes, that's, <laughs> what, that's what I'm saying. He's he's solidified the catching pr- back. position for them. Semyon's doing his Semyon stuff. Yep. So, yeah, they, you know, they got some bats. Josh Young is, is off to a good start yeah. to his career. But. I think those bottom spots in yeah. the order are clear positions of upgrade, which, you know, it's a good thing. You know, it's it's a good thing when you yeah. have an obvious spot that's, hey, we could use an upgrade here. Then it's easy to just go trade guys for a good player that plays that position and boom. Yeah. Um, so I, I think they're well positioned uh, as long as they kind of keep this hot streak going into the deadline. Um, yeah, they're definitely, I think, going to be buyers because they, they really want to win. Yeah. They're anxious to win. And, you know, they've got enough quantity on the farm where it wouldn't really hurt them much to trade a guy here and there they may not be trading carter you know one of their top guys but you know i could see them shoring up their bullpen for example which has been kind of a weak spot um with some sort of middling prospects so they got some moves to make yeah and there's still plenty of time between now and the deadline for another one of their starters to go down so maybe a stable yeah. presence in the rotation would be welcome maybe not ne- not necessarily a jordan lyles type i think they'd want better performance than that but someone in that vein where you can really count on them to take the ball every fifth day that that would be helpful for a team like this yeah i mean and and one more point about Degrom. they knew what they were getting when they signed Degrom. they knew he was you know red flags everywhere right so they're kind of getting what they paid for to some degree with the risk they were taking but you know the mets did this as well the last couple of years where they kind of laid off him to let him kind of heal in the first half of the year and then brought him back in the second half I suspect that's what's going on here as well. I don't know. I don't know how bad the elbow is, but uh, clearly he can't pitch a full year. But they knew that when they signed him. 
Right. Yeah. If if he was expected to pitch 30 starts a year and, and be healthy and dominant for all of them, he would have cost a lot more money yeah. than they paid. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, it's the last two teams to just hit on briefly here. The Angels, I honestly don't even want to get too into the Angels because we're going to be talking about them nonstop as, yeah. with regards to the Otani question. So let's let's table yeah. that for now, right. I think. Um, right. And just briefly hit the, hit the Mariners where they've been kind of kind of middling uh they're they're over yeah. 500 but it's kind of um you know it, it's like last year's team just without all of the one run game luck <laughs> yeah and that's kind right. of what they're at and you know part of that is julio got off to a slow start this year and i think i don't think there's any doubts about him performing better down mm-hmm. the stretch but they've also benefited from the jared kelnick breakout and yeah. you know maybe there's room for that to regress a little bit and there's there's once again some obvious spots for improvement here. AJ Pollock is not getting it done for them. Colton Wong has been terrible. Yeah. Um, they they need some more offense for sure. The rotation's been pretty strong. Uh, you you want to get yeah. Marco Gonzalez out of there if you can, but outside of him, it's been it's been a strong uh, group of guys. Um, but I think yeah, and I think the offense is their their clear position of upgrade. Yeah, a couple weeks ago on a podcast, I was like, yeah, don't know if you can count on Gilbert and Kirby. I think you can count on Gilbert and Kirby. I'm sold. I, I, I regret that statement. So, yeah, you got Castillo, Gilbert, and Kirby as your three tough guys, I think. That's a strong rotation now. Bryce Miller has come on. And granted, he's a rookie, and so there's always questions with rookies. But, man, he's been great. Um, so maybe there's your fourth. You can hold this up. Um, and the bullpen has been really good. And they seem to have this knack for getting guys off of the waiver wire, and they turn them into something. Trevor Gott, who used to be terrible, suddenly is good for them. Paul Sewell, of course, before that, you know, a couple of years ago, they got him off of the scrap heap. And, you know, they keep doing this. Justin Topa got off the – and he's been good. You know, like, what the heck? Matt Brashett, of course, we knew was good, but, you know, he's delivering as well. So they've got a bullpen. They've got a rotation. Trader Joe, Trader Jerry is going to Trader Jerry, right? So he's going to he's gonna go for it, I think. And he's got a strong enough farm still to deal with. Even after last year's trades, there's some bubbling up going on there in the farm. We're like, oh, that guy's good now, and that guy's good now. And so he's got some capital to work with. So uh, he'll work with it, I think, to shore up some spots. He wants, he wants to go for it. Yeah, they don't necessarily have another Luis Castillo trade in them, but yeah. th- they don't need that right now, right? They, right. they just right. need a couple consistent bats, and I think they have the pieces to get that done. Right. Well, cool. Uh, I don't think we expected this to go this long, but it did. Um, all, all good conversation and all stuff we're going to be keeping an eye on in the coming weeks as we get closer and closer to the deadline. Uh, but before we wrap up, John, is there anything else you want to add in? Um, look again for the uh, more news about the new site coming. We're getting close, folks. I'm sorry it's been a little bit uh, – jumped the gun a little bit saying, hey, we've got a new site coming. But in fact – we still do. It's just, you know, as things go, when you build a new website, there's all of these little details you got to get right. So we're just working through those. So, but it's coming in June. Yes. And it will be excellent and it'll be here and, and make all of your deadline trade proposals that much, <laughs> that much easier, that much quicker to get done. Right. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Well, looking forward to that. Um, but otherwise, I think that'll do it for this week. Thank you all so much for listening. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to shoot us an email at baseballtradevalues at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at baseballvalues. Also, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. We'll be back in a couple weeks to break down more news and updates. So until then, stay safe and enjoy the season. Thanks, John. Thanks, John.